a faithfulness that is not on our own merit, but on simply out of your unfathomable love for us. You've given us what we don't deserve. You've taken what we did deserve on the cross. And you've, out of that, have called us to a life that is the good life. That is a life, the very life of God. And I pray we would understand more of your will for this life and these verses today. The Holy Spirit has given us to the Apostle Paul for our good, our edification, our building up, our Christ-likeness. Lord, we thank You for the fact that no matter where we are, no matter where we live, no matter what the state of our relationships, we have a God who is in control behind it. We have the ability by the grace of God and the strength of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit to be content and satisfied no matter what. Thank You certainly for the country that uh, we are all residing in here. We pray for our leaders in political places. We pray for our government. We ask, Lord, that first of all they would be saved Come to a knowledge of the repent of repentance to the truth, that we may lead a quiet and a peaceable life. But Lord, we also know that whatever our government you call us to be faithful no matter what, and we ought to obey God rather than men. So we pray for your strength to do so. If pressure increases to go contrary to your word. But Lord, we will not know what is contrary to Your Word unless we know what Your Word says. And so we ask for Your Holy Spirit in this specific passage to give us understanding, to give clarity, and to apply it to our hearts and lives. May we live pure in our singleness and live pure in our married life. As we operate within the spheres that You have laid out and the bounds that You called us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you'll find that there was a terrible problem that was existing in Corinth and it dealt with the whole area of marriage and that's the problem which Paul speaks to in the 7th chapter. The Corinthians didn't really know what to do in terms of marriage or at least they weren't willing to admit what they should do. And they posed some questions to Paul about it and we looked at Verses 1-5 through five last week, in the first verse of chapter 7, Paul talks about them writing to him concerning these issues, and then he proceeds to answer them. And like many areas of their lives, the Corinthians had managed to botch up this specific area of marriage and singleness. They had fouled up other things, and so there was no reason to believe on their track record that they were going to do okay in this. Because Paul dealt with the fundamental lack of of belief and faith in chapters 1 through 4 on an understanding of a crucified Christ and a risen Savior through whom all of life was to be filtered and their own self-life was to be laid aside for the risen life of Jesus Christ. And so he spends four chapters on that to help them understand the foundation of all of this. They were confused over whether it was right to be single, whether it was necessary to be single if you're going to be super spiritual, 
or whether it was right to be married and necessary to be married if you're going to be spiritual. There certainly were Jews in that congregation, and as an Orthodox Jew, uh, there, there was a teaching there that you had to be married. And if you weren't married, unless there was a very special, very small allowance in, in Jewish traditions, unless you weren't married, and if you weren't more married, you were out of God's will. And to be out of God's will, in their understanding, was to be excluded from heaven. And on the other hand, there were in this Corinthian church, apparently, some people who had a rather growing fascination with celibacy. And they were more concerned with remaining single as, this, uh, as a spiritual value. In other words, if they were single, they would be able to give God a higher devotion. They would move to a higher plane of spiritual life if they weren't married. And there were some who would go so far as to say that sexual activity of any kind, if nothing else, uh, 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 was, was, was wrong even in the bounds of, of marriage. Paul dealt with the wrong kind in chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, but we saw in chapter 7, 1 through 5, he said it gives absolute uh, 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 go ahead and thumbs up to the act of marriage in the realm of marriage. Some were saying that truly devoted Christians wouldn't marry at all. And so this carried so far that there were people who said they were devoted to Christ, said they were Christians, who said, well, we ought to get a divorce. We'll see that in, in, the, in the verses we'll look at next week. So that we might better serve the Lord, we'll split up. Or if they wanted to stay together, say like they did in chapter uh, um, uh, 7, verses 1 through 5, some of them thought, well, we'll withdraw ourselves from all physical relationship, no more sexual relations in our marriage, we'll just devote ourselves to God and not get dragged down by these physical things. There was all kinds of wrong thinking and problems and confusion that was ruling this marriage scene in Corinth. And they write to Paul asking for answers. And they ask questions like this. Is marriage a command? Do you have to be married to please God? Should single people then marry or is it more spiritual to say single? Are you a more devoted Christian if you're not married? And another question that came out of this is, should you marry people who become Christians then abstain from all sexual relationships? Or should a Christian married to who is already married to a non-Christian divorce that non-Christian in order not to have a mixed marriage or unite Christ with a pagan? Those are the questions they were asking. And so the seventh chapter of 1 Corinthians answers these questions. So chapter 7 is about sex, marriage, divorce, remarriage, singleness. And last week our focus was in verses 1 through 5. Today is verses 6 through 9. Before we get there, I want to remind you of the common theme in all these topics that Paul weaves throughout. The common theme is a satisfaction, a contentedness by finding your ultimate identity and security in the Lord and not in other people. And so the control of all of Paul's answers to these questions in chapter 7 is don't be driven by a change in your relational status. Don't let that drive you. This occurs in every section, and I think you'll see it as we work through this chapter here, but that theme ties uh, these, these, these sections together. And in verses 17 through 24, he really makes it clear, remain in the place you were at the time of your salvation call, unless God has other plans. Abide in your calling. So in verses 1 through 7, he says, abide in your calling to the married. Stay married with full conjugal rights. 
And verses 8 and 9, He's going to say to the unmarried and the widows, it's good to remain unmarried. Though there are allowances. It's not a rule. Verses 10 through 11, He's going to talk to the married, both partners who are believers, and say, remain married. Verses 12 through 16, those with an unbelieving spouse, remain married. Those who have never been married to virgins, it's good to remain unmarried. And verses 25 through 38. And then verse 39 and 40, to married women and widows, the married are bound to the marriage. When widows, it's good to, it's good to remain that way, though there are exceptions. So his point is, find your identity not in your present circumstances that you find yourselves in. Find your purpose and who you are and your relationship with the Lord and then your response of serving Him in whatever relationship that is. First and foremost, we are not singles. We are not married. We are not widows or widowers. We are not divorced. We are people, if you're in Christ, you are people who have been called out from a life of sin to God and that is what we place at the center of our lives. Not our relational status. Not to say our relational statuses don't matter. But the core is to love and serve God. And so Paul will then show how we serve Him out of these different circumstances. The joys, the hurts, the imperfections that even our closest human relationships have may remind us that what matters is the unchangeable relationship with the Lord. And pleasing God in all of them because our relationship with Him cannot be severed in Christ. So serve Christ because of our great calling to Him. That's what defines us. That's what shapes our attitudes and emotions. We've been freed, he said in chapter 6, 9 through 11, by being washed, by being set apart, by being declared in right relationship to Him, to God, to be His servants. And our time is short to serve Him. So last week, as we worked through this in 1 Corinthians, we saw this theme of what's mine is yours, serving Christ in your marriage. And we looked at the first point in verses 1-5 through five of finding joy in the gift of married love. It is a gift of God to be married. Secondly, find joy in the service of married love. That you exist for the other, their purpose is not to exist for you. And thirdly, find joy in the surrender of married love. Looks like my uh, projector went off there. Really have no idea why that happened. So we find ourselves in chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. Building on that. And so he says here in verse 6, But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. When he says by permission, he means concession here. In other words, this is, this, is a, this is a word of wisdom. This is not an ironclad truth, an absolute truth for everyone. That's to be applied by everyone here. But this is, this is, this is a, 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 a general principle here. And, it's, and when Paul says these things, it's, it's, it's how you are supposed to read the book of Proverbs. See, the book of Proverbs... Sometimes you read the book of Proverbs and think these are abs- all these all these proverbs of, of describing life and everything are, are absolute truths of how you if you train up a child in the way you should go um, then when they're old they're not going to depart from it. These are general principles. There are exceptions to these things. And Paul here is putting his advice here as a as a way to exercise wisdom, uh, a, a delineation between the, the 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 good and the better here. Okay. So when he says, 
and verse 6, I speak this by permission or concession and not of commandment, what he's referring to is he their, their letter has argued for abstinence from sexual relationships within marriage. And Paul in verses 2 through 5 has said, no, that will lead to sexual immorality. That will lead to temptation. And in the cases of sexual immorality, they already seem to be a plague in their house and in their houses. In fact, chapter six, verse twelve through twenty, some of them are going to prostitution to find fulfillment in that area. So Paul says, "No, stop defrauding one another in this matter." He commands, and then he gives an exception, a concession, a permission. He says, "Unless there is." a temporary abstinence that is mutually agreed on by husband and wife at set times for prayer, and then you come back together again. So this is a concession to you. You're not to take that as a command. This is an allowance here for not exercising uh, 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 the, the sexual part of the marriage relationship in marriage for this one exception here. Even such a good thing as temporary abstinence, to focus uh, specifically on prayer, to fast, so we, so you could say here, from uh, sexual activity, uh, uh, if you both agree on that, uh, Paul says, will not be raised to the level of command. Because there's difficulties that were going on in the church. There is a reality that these things belong, he'll say in verse 7, in the category of a gift, not a requirement here. So he says, I speak this by permission and not of command, referring to verse 5. Now he will say in verse 7, I would or I wish that all men were even as I myself, were in my state, he'll say. Okay? But every man has his proper, or that word proper there is the Greek word for own, his own, his personal gift, his or her personal gift from God, one after this manner and another after that. So Paul here is saying that, uh, in, in the following verses here, that there are people who have different spiritual gifts in this particular realm of sexuality. And there is never an excuse to be impure in that, but there are ways that these gifts are, uh, of either celibacy or marriage can't, should be exercised here. And so Paul's advice is anyone who doesn't have this spiritual gift of celibacy, of singleness here, whose urges are strong, should marry, he'll say in verse 9. But there are people who have the spiritual gift to not be driven by those sexual desires in their single life. And Paul says that's a special gift. And some of you are wondering here, in verses seven, verses chapter seven, verses seven through nine, how in the world is this passage applicable to me? Perhaps you're a kid, or a teenager, or you're happily married, or you're happily single, or you're happily single, but you may be looking for a spouse. The truth of the matter is that this passage we're going to look at here is very applicable because all of us are single in our lives at some time, right? And even after your marriage, you will be single again. Because the truth of the matter is, where the rubber meets the road, if we're married, we'll just be honest, there is a 50% chance you will be a widower or widower in your life. Or your spouse will be as the other 50%, right? Right? That's the truth. 
Sometimes early in age, sometimes later in age. In other words, there are no guarantees in our life that our statuses will never change. And some of these things we're going to look at this morning might be directly applicable now. And your stage of life is single or married. Some of these might be applicable later on in life. So tuck these truths away. But the main principle of obeying the Lord's will wherever you are right now, regardless, is true of all of us to obey right now, no matter what state you're in. So in whatever stage of life or whatever status of life you find yourself in, find your joy in God as the principles and allowances and gifts He gives you. Operate in that sphere for joy in God. Redeem the time, Paul says. Understanding what the will of God is. And wherever you are, be all there. As Jim Elliott said. What we're going to see this morning is two principles. First of all, channel your ability to serve the Lord. Channel your ability to serve the Lord. <clears throat> Look what he says in chapter 7, or verse 7. For I would or wish that all men were even as I myself. Paul was a single man. But every man has his proper or own gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide or remain even as I. Channel your ability to serve the Lord. Each of us have our own gift. So channel your ability to serve the Lord. Paul gives us his example. He says, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Even as I. Now you'll notice there in... <clears throat> And verse 8, he says, I say therefore to the unmarried and widows. The Greek language that the New Testament was written in in that time did not have a Greek word for widowers at that time. Later in the passage, when Paul discusses the unmarried, he uses the word for virgins. Right here in this passage, he's using a word that means simply unmarried. Because there's not a word for widowers. He obviously refers to widows in verse 8. But the word that's used here can be literally translated as demarried. Demarried. In other words, someone who was married but is now not married. And in the context of these verses, I believe it's referring to someone who was married but they are not now married because they lost their spouse. And specifically, a widower, because he already refers to the widow. So he's not just talking um, carte blanche here about those who are unmarried and single. He's specifically referring to a, a specific state in life, a widower and a widow, is what he's referring to. He could have just said the unmarried and left it there, but he says the unmarried and widows. So widowers and widows here. <clears throat> I think is the best understanding. Now, Paul himself probably, though this can't be proved, probably because of what we know about his position before he was saved with, on the, uh, as, as, a, as a leader in the Jewish religious system, was probably a widower himself. Paul describes himself in Acts chapter 26 as one who is on the Sanhedrin, the ruling council, the religious council of Israel. In order to be a rabbi even, much less one who's on the ruling council in Israel, you, were, you had to be married. You had to be married. There's a good chance that Paul's uh, uh, wife may have died. In fact, he specifically says here in verse 
7, it is good for them if they abide or remain, even as I. And he's talking about the context of being a widower or a widow. So he's recommending his pattern of life. He does not insist on it. He says it is good. And it might raise the question, well, what pattern is he talking about? So if we're going to channel our ability to serve the Lord in whatever state we find ourselves in, particularly in this state of being a widower or a widow, Paul says, look at my example. And so he brings this idea here of a pattern here that, uh, to, to this conclusion, that he has a preference for remaining single, both for himself and suggests it is wise for others to follow that pattern. It's not a rule for them to follow up, but he suggests it would be wise. He says, to be sure, I wish all people are as I am, remain as I am. Now, he does not, uh, he does not say this is a requirement, this is a command. In fact, he qualifies it by saying, some have this gift as I do. Look what he says in verse 7. Every man has his own proper gift of God, one after this manner and another after that. So in the context, what, is the, what are the two gifts he's talking about in the context? Well, one, to, to uh, experience the full, uh, married life, and another, to, to, to remain single for the rest of their life. Paul says that's a, spe- a specific gift here. So channel your ability to serve the Lord in whatever state you're in by Paul's example, but also understanding Paul's gift. Paul's gift. Now, last time we looked at verses 1 through 5, we saw um, uh, there are some general principles regarding marriage. And, and what Paul said, by way of brief summary, is this marriage is normal, marriage is going to be for the majority of people. God has bade us to marry, marry is, marriage is good, God has put his blessing on it. But, friends, marriage is not an absolute command for all of us, it's not an absolute command. Because God has, according to verse 7, given to some people the gift of being single. Okay? Now that word gift there is the Greek word charismata. And it's the, it's the idea of a spiritual gift. A, 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 a grant by the Holy Spirit to operate in that particular realm. Probably you may not have thought about that particular part of uh, spiritual gifts. You think maybe a gifts of mercy, gifts of teaching... But Paul here says this is a spiritual gift. A spiritual gift. The Holy Spirit has given them a gift to be able to uh, 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 not have a desire here uh, for sexuality in the way that someone who is uh, married or a single who is looking to be married would have. And friends, if that's what God has gifted you with, then your singleness is a unique gift of God. And it ought to be used for His glory. So certainly marriage would seem to be the norm, right? Otherwise, populations would never increase, right? But it isn't commanded. It isn't an absolute. But it is the norm to be pure. Avoid fornication, sexual involvement. And for that, Paul says you should get married. But that's later. But for some who have this gift of being single, that's a special blessing of God. And it should be maintained because it puts you in a position to be used by Him in a very unique way. So here's the principle here. Verses 1-5. through Marriage is normal. Singleness is the exception and it's the gift of God. If you have it, then it's something you ought to hold and cherish as a special gift from God. And that special gift is the gift of celibacy here in singleness. Okay, Not that someone who does not have that uh, a gift and has those strong sexual desires, but is single 
means that they can do whatever they want. No, you already explained that in chapter 7, verses 1-5. through five. That's what marriage is for. But what he's saying is this. Some have a gift from God in this, and some have a gift of God in that. In singleness and celibacy their whole lives, or in marriage and enjoying that particular gift of marriage. Both of them are gifts. Have you ever thought of your marriage as a gift from God? Those of you who may have that special gift of celibacy here uh, as an adult, uh, have you ever thought, realized that that's a gift from God? It's not a curse. So Paul doesn't raise this thing to a higher spirituality, but Paul says both are gifts. So Paul's example tells us to channel our ability to serve the Lord. But also, Paul's good. Paul's good. Look what he says here in verse 8. I say therefore to the unmarried or the widower and the widows, it is good for them if they abide and remain even as I. Friends, I just want want to say this here. Some Some of you think you have the gift of matchmaker. Friends, if someone has this gift of celibacy, they have no desire to be married, we don't need to try to play matchmaker. And in fact, Paul says we shouldn't. We, some of you want you, you have these romantic dreams of matching people up and you want to play Cupid all the time. I've seen some of you older ladies do this. I'll just be honest with you. Alright, there the elephants are in the room. you got to get married. You can't go through life. you got to start looking, right? And you're trying to push people into getting married. Don't do that. Don't do that. God may have given them the gift of celibacy, right? And if so, if you're pushing them to be married, like they don't you know, already know that, right? Then you're in violation of God's very best for their life, Paul said. There's some things in this world that we need single people for. A lot of things. Now, I'm going to say it's a little different situation if you got somebody saying, i got to get married. Right? They probably would not have the gift of celibacy in this way. Right? And it's okay to, 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 to help guide them to somebody who, 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 who may be uh, 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 who, who is a spiritual person and may be God's will for their lives. But someone who has no interest in that, knock it off. Alright? There we said it. Because God has given them the gift of being able to control sexual desire outside of marriage and let it be that way, and God will fulfill them in a very unique way. Paul says here very simply, it's a good thing for them to abide even as I. And Paul was single at this time, right? Probably was married, as I mentioned. Uh, His time of of ministry for Christ was always as a single individual, as best as we can tell. And if it's true that he was widowed, then he maintained that because Paul says, I have this specific gift. That charisma, charismata of celibacy. The ability to be single and not to be preoccupied with sex and marriage. So it's a good thing. Now, just to be honest and give some balance to this, in verse 25, Paul further talks about this and he says, Now concerning virgins or those who haven't been married yet, I have no commandment of the Lord. I don't have a command for you to stay unmarried. No one ever... um, Lord never said anything uh, about the unmarried except in Matthew 19, I believe. He never told anybody, you got to get married. He just spoke about marriage as it is. And Paul says, general principle here is if you're single, be content to stay that way. 
If you're married, stay that way for sure. And in verse 28, Paul basically says, if you marry, if you are a virgin, you become married, you haven't sinned. If virgin marries, she hasn't. It's not sin to get married. But Paul says, consider this, it may be to your advantage to be single. Because there's complications that marriage brings. It's not easy. So in other words, don't make a big issue out of marriage if it isn't a necessity to you. It's all right. You won't sin if you stay single. If God's given you that ability to be single your whole life, cherish that ability. Because there is a lack of encumbrance that comes with it. There's a freedom that comes with it in a certain way. A special way in which you can serve God. And that to me is an exciting thing. So let's just be careful how we talk to our singles. And not put undue pressure on them. It's a very special gift that renders capable of serving God in a very unique way. And there are pressures in being single already, right? And certainly you may sometimes feel like a fifth wheel. And single people, if you're really left out, friends, there's no way to feel that way, particularly if we are indeed a church family and we are caring about our singles. But also, if God's given you this ability, He's allowed you to be single for the time, accept that as, as, as His plan, though there's a possibility of marriage in the future. There's nothing wrong, in other words, with being single. Paul advocates it. Jesus had a conversation with disciples in, in Matthew 19. And, and after Jesus says, no, this is the design of marriage, that you stay with your husband and wife. He's talking about marriage. He's given all things about marriage. You're not to put your wife away except for fornication or vice versa and so forth. If he get, gets done with his speech, he lays down some strong guidelines in Matthew 19, verse 10. His disciples say to him, if this is the case of a man with his wife, it's not good to marry. It's like they're, they're saying, whoa, this is serious. I, it's better for me to be single. And Jesus says this, yes, but all men can't receive this saying except they to whom it has been given. And so that's the idea that Paul is expanding on, this idea of a gift, grace here. And here in Matthew 19, the Lord's indicating, it'd be fine if everybody stayed single, but everybody can't handle that. And so he's saying this gift, this charismata of verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 7, is a special gift to be single and not be preoccupied with the marriage relationship. <clears throat> Perhaps you never thought of it this way, but Christopher Wan, who was a, uh, a, a homosexual, um, but became a transformed believer by the prayers and the gospel of Jesus Christ by the prayers of his mother. He speaks in different places and he says this. Singleness is each person's origin, isn't it? We're not born married. And it will be our destiny as well. There's no marriage in heaven, right? Our marriage, our union is to the Lord Jesus Christ, Right? And he says, some people are called to celibacy, but everyone was single at birth, is single through their childhood and even some of their adult, young adult years, and in the end, they will be single in heaven. Celibacy is a commitment. Singleness is a state of being here. And Christ followers are called to practice chastity, celibacy. Some of them might be called to practice celibacy through their whole life, as their calling. And God gives them that grace. But all single believers are called to chastity. And all married believers are called to exercise sexuality within their marriage. 
So channel your ability to serve the Lord whatever state you're in. Paul here is specifically his state of being perhaps a widower and certainly a single man. But friends, as I said, that does not make marriage put marriage in a bad light. Because look what Paul says. But if they cannot contain, that word contain means to control themselves, exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. And the idea there with burn is with, with passions. Okay, Strong desires here. Paul has already talked about marriage as being an outlet here for these drives in verse 2. He says, Nevertheless, to avoid sexual immorality, let every, woman have, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. Let the husband render, discharge his wife due benevolence, his conjugal duties, and likewise also the wife to the husband. The wife has not power over her own body, but the husband, and likewise also the husband has not power of his own body, but the wife. So channel your drive, Paul's saying, to the proper place of marriage. So Paul obviously has a preference for his status, right? He recognizes that his celibacy is a charismata. It is a special, gracious gift from God. It is not a requirement, however, and so that places marriage in another uh, uh, another category. They were these. Some of these people were urging celibacy for the married that Paul has to deal with. In verse five, he says, "Defraud you not one another. Stop it." But Paul says, "No, celibacy is for the single man, the single woman that God gives a special grace to. Chastity, exercising self-control, is for all in whatever sphere you're in." But the practice of sexuality is reserved for marriage. So what Paul is saying is this. If his special gift that God gave him was a life of celibacy and singleness, then Paul says there's another gift that some receive, and that is the gift of sexual life and marriage, which he's already addressed very clearly with those three principles we saw in chapter 7, verses 1-5. through five. Friends, and you know this, all of us, as I mentioned, are single at one time or another. Some are still single, and that's fine. But being single opens up all kinds of potential for you to serve the Lord. Never take someone who, who's content with being single and force them in a situation uh, where they think they're not fulfilled and they have to get married. It's not necessarily true. If you're unmarried or widowed, Paul says you can stay that way. Probably he prefers it. You don't have to get married. But then he says this in verse 9. But, if you can't have self-control in this area, you have desires here of being married and exercising those marital rights. If you can't handle being single, Paul says get married. Get married. Talking about Christians here. Some of you say, well, I don't have that gift of celibacy, but I can't seem to get married. Well, I want you to understand this. God will give you power to find joy in Him no matter what your state. Okay? And it's good if God's given you the gift of celibacy here for your life. But if not, then Paul says, then married, then marry, and that assumes that God will provide a partner. Now, how can God uh, say, say uh, uh, 
get married and, and not provide a partner. Well, that might come later on in life. Some of you know the story of Nancy Lee DeMoss, uh, a single lady for many years and got married in her uh, 50s, approaching 60. Her life changed. But I also want to fight against culture's view of marriage as more and more trying to enjoy the uh, uh, of singles enjoying the package of marriage without marriage, without responsibility, because it requires dying to self. In covenant relationship, where you promise each other your life to them, that's different than just living together. In fact, this is all. This is this is a thing. You're, this is a thing. All of us are fighting, and parents will be fighting this with your children who will be single for a certain time. And singles will be fighting this, and even marrieds will be fighting this here in our marriages. Let me give you a, a, an example here. Uh, Scarlett Johansson. She separated from her second husband, and she said she's beginning to have doubts about marriage. She said, I think the idea is romantic. It's a beautiful idea, she said, but I don't think it's natural to be a monogamous person. It's a lot of work. Yeah, right? She said uh, that living together, though, she recognizes is a far cry from being married. She says, anybody who tells you that it's the same as lying, she said. It changes things. I have friends who were together for 10 years and then decided to get married and I'll ask them on their wedding day if it's different and it always is. It's a beautiful responsibility, but it's a responsibility. So she recognizes there's a difference, but she also recognizes that covenant marriage is work. And friends, that's where we have to change our thinking here about marriage. That is not a bed of roses, that it is work. It is work. Like this is something that is very prominent here in our in our culture, uh, more and more so with each with each uh, coming generation. Elizabeth Landa, a 32-year-old single, wrote in a Scientific American article that a lot of people her age, and she's um, uh, in that generation called millennials, are what she calls commitment phobes. Commitment phobes. She supports her friends' marriages. But she says privately, I feel left behind in what Vanity Fair described as a dating apocalypse. Of course, there's plenty of single men and women like me who don't seek out one night stands, but I feel like in the dating app era, many aren't keen on investing lots of quality time in any particular match when a better one might be a swipe away. My outlook may have entered a vicious cycle. It's hard to get excited about meeting someone who won't care about you that much and maybe looking for somebody else after you. And she's on to something, really. That is a problem in our society, isn't it? The Pew Research Center reported that um, this particular, that particular generation of millennials are significantly less likely to be married than previous generations in their 20s. A Gallup poll found that the percentage of 18 to 29-year-olds who say they're single and not living with a partner rose from 52% in 2004 to 64% in 2014. Marriage among 30-somethings dropped 10 percentage points during that decade. And the percentage of those living together rose from 7 to 13%. By the way, not as many are living together as you might think. But why is this? And... Pew's Research Center, their um, explanation was this. Self-absorption. Trying to live with somebody else and putting their needs first is more difficult when you've been raised to put yourself first. That's where it comes down to, right? 
Friends, it is hard. Because marriage is a covenant. It requires a crucified life. Which requires trusting Jesus' strength in your marriage and acting on that strength. I heard a pastor tell the story of um, in his wedding, he was running late for his wedding. And he realized he had no laces for his shoes. The shoes that he rented. And so he ran to a shoe store with shoes in hand. He's, he's got his shoes. He's shouting over the heads of the other customers, I'm supposed to get married in five minutes and I need laces. And the clerk reached under the counter, he said, and tossed him a set. And he said, how much? And she said, forget it. The clerk said, you're already paying a price for that knot. <laughs> and it's true. There's a giving up of yourself for the knot, the covenant of marriage, isn't it? So Paul is saying, channel your drive to the proper place of marriage because marriage is a gift, but also because there is the reserve of marriage. Channel your drive. If you're single, God has given you the outlet of marriage for your desires. That's what he said in verse 2. That's what he said in verse 5. And what he's saying in verse 9. I would be repeating myself if I went through everything we talked about last week about how the gift of sexual relationship and marriage is indeed a gift. And not something to be ashamed of, embarrassed about, turn our heads, but be upright and honest about as the Bible is. Speak with the same volume about it as the Bible does. Speak with the same uh, 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 repetition as the Bible says. But friends, our culture tells us that these privileges of marriage can be exercised by living together, cohabiting together. But God's a good God and He's a designer. And do you know, your very psychology, the very way your brain is wired, when it all comes down to it, your brain knows the difference between covenant marriage and exercising those privileges and just living together. In fact, they did a study with, M- with an MRI examining the brain functioning of women who are living with other men and women who are married when facing stress. And so they did a test on it with, 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 a, with a little mild shock on their ankle to stimulate stress. And for support, while this stress was going on, the women had three choices. Hold the hand of their partners while this stress was, of the shock was going on. Hold the hand of a stranger or face the shock alone. And when a married woman facing this, the, the, this electrical shock held the hand of her, of, of her spouse... She registered a deep sense of calm in the certain region of her brain as she prepared for the shock. And a woman who was living with another man who held the hand of her live-in partner registered little to no calm. Now why is that? Well, what surprised researchers is this. Both sets of women stated they felt commitment from their partners. A married woman to her husband, a live-in with her so-called partner. But those who are living with their partner, who are outside of marriage, recorded the same level of calm as those holding the hand of a stranger. So those researchers speculated that though women, uh, women and men who live together say they feel commitment from their partner, their hearts aren't really telling them the same thing. Friends, God's designed us 
to enjoy committed covenant vowed marriage. Some of you say, I know I'm not called to celibacy. I'm single and I'm looking. Well, friends, let me give you some, some advice here as we close. If you're not the right person, you're not going to meet the right person. Okay? If you're not the right person, you'll never meet the right person. If you're looking for the right girl, be the right godly man. Girls, be the right woman of God. Look for someone who's going to bring you closer to Jesus Christ, will help you grow. Paul says, let them marry. And by the way, that's an aorist imperative command. Get married. It's better to marry than to burn. If you have these desires, get married, Paul's saying. If you're burning with sexual desire, and that's a present tense, Paul says, you continue to burn, then please get married. Marry will help. Marriage will help in that fulfillment of the physical desire. But it doesn't solve everything, does it? You say, well, I know I don't have this gift of, of, of celibacy. I'm chaste. I'm pure. I'm just waiting for the right partner. What do I do? And friends, here's how you need to think. How can you, if you're a single person who's awaiting the fulfillment of a physical desire, waiting for the right mate, how can you control yourself? Number one, channel your energy, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, channel your energy through work and service. Redirect yourself to good work and good service because it will give your energy an outlet rather than an idle mind. Secondly, don't be driven by this idea of being married. Be driven to selflessly, sacrificially serve others because that's what love is. Practice that. Practice that in the meantime. If you're someone who just will, 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 will never be happy unless you're married, friends, you're looking at it from the wrong perspective. You're already approaching it from what can that person do to give me fulfillment. But people who are seeking to serve others, God may use those very opportunities to help you find the person that will become your spouse. Seek to be self-sacrificial in love. And then obviously, let go of a sex-crazy, adulterous world. The sitcoms you watch, the movies you watch, they're not channeling you toward God's will in this, are they? They are impressing in your mind, go do what you want. Have that flirtatious relationship. Go off with them. Because it's a challenge. It'll make you happy. There's a thrill in the moment. Let go of that. But don't just let it go. Fill it. Fill your mind. Fourthly, program your mind with divine realities. Divine realities. Bible truth. Eternal cosmic truths that the Word of God has been delivered to you. Program your mind with them through the Holy Spirit. This is, this is what it means to, to uh, set your body as a living sacrifice, to renew your mind. Your actions, your behavior is going to be the direct result of the programming of your mind with divine truth. Allow the Holy Spirit to reign in your life. Surrender. And this is, this is for um, uh, uh, married people who are fighting these adulterous thoughts. This is for singles, etc. This is for purity, no matter where you are. And if you are in this state of being single, 
recognize that as you speak, in this present state, for now, God has chosen for you to live without sex. And recognize this truth that he'll talk about in 1 Corinthians 10. There is no temptation that has taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be taken captive by that temptation. Above that you're able. So, But with that temptation will make a way of escape so that you'll be able to bear it, Paul says. Alright, so there's never a reason that I have to give in to um, sexuality outside of God's marriage bounds because I'm lonely. Or I had a bad day. Or I have these longings. Be pure. And then obviously avoid potentially dangerous situations like Joseph. He, He just ran. He just ran. And obviously, out of all of this, a joy in God will help a lot of these other things fall into place. Thank and praise God for the state you're in and be content with it. That state could change. And I'm not telling you to just be passive in it because Paul says if you desire to be married, seek to be married. right? But praise God for the state you're in and be content. Be thankful in all things. Paul says if you're single, great. If it's something that's really hard for you to handle, Paul says, be open to marriage. So there's not a command that everybody has to marry, and there's not a special spirituality in being single. No. And if we sum up these words for all of us, live purely in singleness by a focus on serving Christ, and live purely in marriage by the proper exercise of your passions and serving your spouse. But in all, focus on serving Christ in whatever state you're in. Let's pray.